Hi, everybody. Let's keep it moving, shall we, with part three of Catherine Patterson's Bridge to Terabithia. Jess didn't see Leslie Burke again except from a distance until the first day of school the following Tuesday when Mr. Turner brought her down to Mrs. Meyer's fifth grade class at Lark Creek Elementary. Leslie was still dressed in the faded cutoffs and the blue undershirt. She had sneakers on her feet, but no socks. Surprise swooshed up from the class like steam from a released radiator cap. They were all sitting there primly dressed in their spring Sunday best. Even Jess wore his one pair of corduroys and an iron shirt. The reaction didn't seem to bother her. She stood there in front, her eyes saying, Okay, friends, here I am, and answered to their open-mouthed stares while Mrs. Myers fluttered about, trying to figure where to put the, the extra desk. The room was a small basement one, and five rows of six desks already filled it more than comfortably. Thirty-one, Mrs. Myers kept mumbling over her double chin, Thirty-one. No one else has more than twenty-nine. She finally decided to put the desk up against the side wall near the front. Just there for now, uh, Leslie. It's the best we can do, for now. This is a very crowded classroom. She swung a pointed glance at Mr. Turner's retreating form. Leslie waited quietly until the seventh-grade boy, who'd been sent down with the extra desk, scraped it into position hard against the radiator and under the first window. Without making any noise, she pulled it a few inches forward from the radiator and settled herself into it. Then she turned once more to gaze at the rest of the class. Thirty pairs of eyes were suddenly focused on desktop scratches. Jess ran his forefinger around the heart with two pairs of initials, B.R. plus S.K., trying to figure out whose desk he had inherited. Probably Sally Cox. Girls did more of that heart stuff in fifth grade than boys. Besides, B.R. must be Billy Rudd, and Billy was known to favor Myrner Hauser last spring. Of course, these initials might have been there longer than that, in which case... Jesse Aarons? Bobby Greggs, pass out the arithmetic books, please. On the last word, Mrs. Myers flashed her famous first day of school smile. It was said in the upper grades that Mrs. Myers had never been seen to smile except on the first and the last day of school. Just roused himself and went to the front. As he passed Leslie's desk, she grinned and rippled her fingers low in a kind of wave. He jerked a nod. He couldn't help feeling sorry for her. It must be embarrassing to sit in front when you find yourself dressed funny on the first day of school and you don't know anybody. He slapped the books down as Mrs. Myers directed. Gary Fulcher grabbed his arm as he went by. Gonna run today? Jess nodded. Gary smirked. He thinks he can beat me, the dumbhead. At the thought, something jiggled inside Jess. He knew he was better than he had been last spring. Vulture might think he was going to be the best now that Wayne Pettis was in sixth, but he just planned to give the old Vulture a little surprise come afternoon. It was as though he had swallowed grasshoppers. He couldn't hardly wait. Mrs. Myers handed out books almost as though she were president of the United States, dragging the distribution process out in senseless signings and ceremonies. It occurred to Jess that she, too, wished to postpone regular school as long as possible. When it wasn't his turn to pass out books, Jess sneaked out a piece of notebook paper and drew. 
He was toying with the idea of doing a whole book of drawings. He ought to choose one chief character and do a story about it. He scribbled several animals and tried to think of a name. A good title would get him started. The Haunted Hippo? He liked the ring of it. Herbie the Haunted Hippo. Even better. The Case of the Cricket Crocodile. Not bad. What you drawing? Gary Fulcher was leaning way over his desk. Just covered the page with his arm. Nothing? Aw, come on, let me see. Jess shook his head. Gary reached down and tried to pull Jess's hand away from the paper. The case of the crooked... Come on, Jess, he whispered hoarsely. I ain't gonna hurt nothing. He yanked at Jess's thumb. Jess put both arms over the paper and brought his sneaker heel crashing down on Gary Fulcher's toe. Yow! Boys... Mrs. Meyer's face had lost its lemon pie smile. He stumped my toe. Take your seat, Gary. But he... Sit down. Jesse Aarons, one more peep from your direction, and you can spend recess in here. Copying the dictionary. Jess's, fate, Jess's face was burning hot. He slid the notebook paper back under his desktop and put his head down. A whole year of this. Eight more years of this. He wasn't sure he could stand it. The children ate lunch at their desks. The county had been promising Lark Creek a lunchroom for 20 years, but there never seemed to be enough money. Jess had been so careful not to lose his recess time that now he even chewed his bologna sandwich with his lips tight shut and his eyes on the initiated heart. Around him, conversations buzzed. They were not supposed to talk during lunch, but it was the first day, and even Monster Mouth Meyer shot fewer flames on the first day. She's eating clabber. Two seats up from where he sat, Mary Lou Peoples was, work, was at work, being the second snottiest girl in the fifth grade. Yogurt, stupid. Don't you watch TV? This from Wanda K. Moore, the snottiest, who sat immediately in front of Jess. Yuck. Lord, why couldn't they leave people in peace? Why shouldn't Leslie Burke eat anything she darn pleased? He forgot that he was trying to eat carefully and took a loud slurp of his milk. Wanda, Wanda Moore turned around all priss-faced. Jesse Aarons, that noise is pure repulsive. He glared at her hard and gave another burp. You are disgusting. Bring! The recess bell. With a yelp, the boys were pushing for first place at the door. The boys will all sit down, oh Lord, while the girls line up and go out to the playground, ladies first. The boys quivered on the edges of their seats like moths fighting to be freed of cocoons. Would she never let them go? All right, now if you boys, they didn't give her a chance to change her mind. They were halfway to the end of the field before she could finish her sentence. The first two out began dragging their toes to make the finish line. The ground was rutted from past rains, but had hardened in, late, in the late summer drought, so they had to give up on sneaker toes and draw the line with a stick. The fifth grade boys, bursting with new importance, ordered the fourth graders this way and that, while the smaller boys tried to include themselves without being conspicuous. How many you guys gonna run? Gary Fulcher demanded. Me, 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 everyone yelled. That's too many. No, first, second, or third graders. Except maybe the butcher cousins and Timmy Vaughn. The rest of you will just be in the way. 
shoulders sagged, but the little boys backed away obediently. Okay, that leaves 26, 27, stand still, 28. You get 28, Greg? Vulture asked Greg Williams, his shadow. Right, 28. Okay, now, we'll have eliminations like always. Count off by fours. Then we'll run all the ones together. Then the twos. We know, we know. Everyone was impatient with Gary, who was trying for all the world to sound like this year's Wayne Pettis. Jess was a four, which suited him well enough. He was impatient to run, but he really didn't mind having a chance to see how the others were doing since spring. Vulture was a one, of course, having started everything with himself. Jess grinned at Vulture's back and stuck his hands into the pockets of his corduroys, wriggling his right forefinger through the hole. Gary won the heat easily and had plenty of breath left to boss the organizing of the second. A few of the younger boys drifted off to play king of the mountain on the slope between the upper and lower fields. Out of the corner of his eye, Jess saw someone coming down from the upper field. He turned his back and pretended to concentrate on Bulger's high-pitched commands. Hi! Leslie Burke had come up beside him. He shifted slightly away. Mm. Aren't you running? Later. Maybe if he didn't look at her, she would go back to the upper field where she belonged. Gary told Earl Watson to bang the start. Jess watched. Nobody with much speed in that crowd. He kept his eyes on the shirt tails and bent backs. A fight broke out at the finish line between Jimmy Mitchell and Clyde Deal. Everyone rushed to see. Jess was aware that Leslie Burke stayed at his elbow, but he was careful not to look her way. Clyde! Gary Fulcher made his declaration. It was Clyde. It was a tie, Fulcher, a fourth grader protested. I was standing right here. Clyde Deal. Jimmy Mitchell's jaw was set. I won, Fulcher. You couldn't even see from way back there. It was Deal. Gary ignored the protests. We're wasting time. All threes line up right now. Jimmy's fists went up. Ain't fair, Fulcher. Gary turned his back and headed for the starting line. Oh, let them both run in the finals. What's it going to hurt? Jess said loudly. Gary stopped walking and wheeled to face him. Vulture glared first at Jess and then at Leslie Burke. Next thing, he said, his voice dripping with sarcasm, next thing you're going to want to let some girl run. Jess's face went hot. Sure, he said recklessly. Why not? He turned deliberately toward Leslie. Want to run? He asked. Sure. She was grinning. Why not? You ain't scared to let a girl race, are you, Fulcher? For a minute, he thought Gary was going to sock him, and he stiffened. He mustn't let Fulcher suspect that he was scared of a little belt in the mouth. But instead, Gary broke into a trot and started bossing the threes into line for their heat. You can run with the fours, Leslie. He said it loudly enough to make sure Fulcher could hear him and then concentrated on the runners. See, he told himself, you can stand up to a creep like Fulcher. No sweat. Bobby Miller won the threes easily. He was the best of the fourth graders, almost as fast as Fulcher, but not as good as me, Jess thought. He was beginning to get really excited now. There wasn't anybody in the force who could give him much of a race. Still, it would be better to give Fulcher a scare by running well in the heat. Leslie lined up beside him on the right. He moved a tiny bit to the left, but she didn't seem to notice. At the bang, Jess shot forward. It felt good, even the rough ground against the bottom of his worn sneakers. 
He was pumping good. He could almost smell Gary Fulcher's surprise at his improvement. The crowd was noisier than they'd been during the other heats. Maybe they were all noticing. He wanted to look back and see where the others were, but he resisted the temptation. It would seem conceited to look back. He concentrated on the line ahead. It was nearing with every step. Oh, Miss Bessie, if you could see me now. He felt it before he saw it. Someone was moving up. He automatically pumped harder. Then the shape was there in his sideways vision, then suddenly pulling ahead. He forced himself now. His breath was choking him and the sweat in his eyes, but he saw the figure anyhow. The faded cutoffs crossed the line a full three feet ahead of him. Leslie turned to face him with a wide smile on her tan face. He stumbled and without a word began half walking, half trotting over to the starting line. This was the day he was going to be champion, the best runner of the fourth and fifth grades, and he hadn't even won his heat. There was no cheering at either end of the field. The rest of the boys seemed as stunned as he. The teasing would come later, he felt sure, but at least for the moment, none of them were talking. Okay, Vulture took over. He tried to appear very much in charge. Okay, you guys, you can line up for the finals. He walked over to Leslie. Okay, you had your fun. You can run on up to the hopscotch now. But I won the heat, she said. Gary lowered his head like a bull. Girls aren't supposed to play on the lower field. Better get up there before one of the teachers sees you. I want to run, she said quietly. You already did. What's the matter, Fulcher? All Jess's anger was bubbling out. He couldn't seem to stop the flow. What's the matter, scared to race her? Fulcher's fist went up, but Jess walked away from it. Fulcher would have to let her run now, he knew. And Fulcher did, angrily and grudgingly. She beat him. She came in first and turned her large, shining eyes on a bunch of dumb, sweating, mad faces. The bell rang. She caught up with him. The bell rang, just started across the lower field, his hands still deep in his pockets. She caught up with him. He took his hands out and began to trot toward the hill. She'd got him into enough trouble. She speeded up and refused to be shaken off. Thanks, she said. Yeah, for what? He was thinking. You're the only kid in this whole darn school who's worth shooting. He wasn't sure. He thought her voice was quivering, but he wasn't going to start feeling sorry for her again. So shoot me, he said. On the bus that afternoon, he did something he had never thought he would do. He sat down beside Maybelle. It was the only way he could make sure that he wouldn't have Leslie punk plunking herself down beside him. Lord, the girl had no notion of what you did and didn't do. He stared out the window, but he knew she had come and was sitting across the aisle from him. He heard her say, Jess, once, but the bus was noisy enough that he could pretend he hadn't heard. When they came to a stop, he grabbed Maybelle's hand and dragged her off, conscious that Leslie was right behind them. But she didn't try to speak to him again, nor did she follow them. She just took off running to the old Perkins place. He couldn't help turning to watch. She ran as though it was her nature. It reminded him of the flight of wild ducks in the autumn. So smooth, the word beautiful came to his mind, but he shook it away and hurried up towards the house. Four, rulers of Terabithia. Because school had started on the first Tuesday after Labor Day, it was a short week. 
It was a good thing because each day was worse than the day before. Leslie continued to join the boys at recess, and every day she won. By Friday, a number of the fourth and fifth grade boys had already drifted away to play King of the Mountain on the slope between the two fields. Since there were only a handful left, they didn't even have to have heats, which took away a lot of the suspense. Running wasn't fun anymore, and it was all Leslie's fault. Jess knew now that he would never be the best runner of the fourth and fifth grades, and his only consolation was that neither would Gary Fulcher. They went through the motions of the contest on Friday, but when it was over and Leslie had won again, everyone sort of knew without saying so that it was the end of the races. At least it was Friday, and Miss Edmonds was back. The fifth grade had music right after recess. Jess had passed Miss Edmonds in the hall earlier in the day, and she had stopped him to make a fuss over him. Did you keep drawing this summer? Yes, sir. May I see your pictures, or are they private? Jess shoved his hair off his red forehead. I'll show you them. She smiled her beautiful, even-toothed smile and shook her shining black hair back off her shoulders. Great, she said. See you. He nodded and smiled back. Even his toes had felt warm and tingly. Now, as he sat on the rug in the teacher's room, the same warm feeling swept through him at the sound of her voice. Even her ordinary speaking voice, voice bubbled up from inside her, rich and melodic. Miss Edmonds fiddled a minute with her guitar, talking as she tightened the strings to the jingling of her bracelets and the thrumming of chords. She was in her jeans as usual and sat there cross-legged in front of them as though that was the way teachers always did. She asked a few of the kids how they were and how their summers had been. They kind of mumbled back. She didn't speak directly to Jess, but she gave him a look with those blue eyes of hers that made him zing like one of the strings she was strumming. She took note of Leslie and asked for an introduction, which one of the girls prissily gave. Then she smiled at Leslie, and Leslie smiled back. The first time Jess could remember seeing Leslie smile since she won the race on Tuesday. Would you like to sing, Leslie? Oh, anything. Miss Edmonds picked a few chords and then began to sing more quietly than usual for that particular song. I see a land bright and clear and the time's coming near when we'll live in this land, you and me, hand in hand. People began to join in quietly at first to match her mood, but as the song built up at the end, their voices did as well, so that by the time they got to the final free to be you and me, the whole school could hear them. Caught in the pure delight of it, Jess turned and his eyes met Leslie's. He smiled at her. What the heck? There wasn't any reason he couldn't. What was he scared of anyhow? Lord, sometimes he acted like the original yellow-bellied sapsucker. He nodded and smiled again. She smiled back. He felt there in the teacher's room that it was the beginning of a new season in his life, and he chose deliberately to make it so. He did not have to make any announcement to Leslie that he had changed his mind about her. She already knew it. She plunked herself down beside him on the bus and squeezed over closer to make room for Maybelle on the same seat. She talked about Arlington, about the huge suburban school she used to go to with its gorgeous music room, but not a single teacher in it as beautiful or as nice as Miss Edmonds. You had a gym? Yeah, I think all the schools did, or most of them anyway, she sighed. I really miss it. 
I'm pretty good at gymnastics. I guess you hate it here. Yeah. She was quiet for a moment, thinking, just decided about her former school, which she saw as bright and new with a gleaming gymnasium larger than the one at the, con at the consolidated high school. I guess you had a lot of friends there, too. Yeah. Why'd you come here? My parents are reassessing their value structure. Huh? They decided they were too hooked on money and success, so they bought that old farm and they're trying to farm it and think about what's important. Jess was staring at her with his mouth open. He knew it and he couldn't help himself. It was the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard. But you're the one that's got to pay. Yeah. Why don't they think about you? We talked it over, she explained patiently. I wanted to come too. She looked past him out the window. You never know ahead of time what something's really going to be like. The bus had stopped. Leslie took Maybelle's hand and led her off. Jess followed, still trying to figure out why two grown people and a smart girl like Leslie wanted to leave a comfortable life in the suburbs for a place like this. They watched the bus roar off. You can't make a go of a farm no nowadays, you know, he said finally. My dad has to go to Washington to work or we wouldn't have enough money. Money is not the problem. Sure, it's the problem. I mean, she said stiffly, not for us. It took him a minute to catch on. He did not know how people for whom money, he did not know people for whom money was not the problem. Oh, he tried to remember not to talk about money with her after that. But Leslie had other problems at Lark Creek that caused more of a rumpus than lack of money. There was the matter of television. It started with Mrs. Myers reading out loud a composition that Leslie had written about her hobby. Everyone had to write a paper about his or her favorite hobby. Jess had written about football, which he really hated, but he had enough brains to know that if he said drawing, everyone would laugh at him. Most of the boys swore that watching the Washington Redskins on TV was their favorite hobby. The girls were divided. Those who didn't care much about what Mrs. Myers thought chose watching game shows on TV. And those like Wanda K. Moore, who were still aiming for A's, chose reading good books. But Mrs. Myers didn't read anyone's paper out loud except Leslie's. I want to read this composition aloud for two reasons. One, it is beautifully written. And two, it tells about an unusual hobby for a girl. Mrs. Myers beamed her first day smile at Leslie. Leslie stared at her desk, being Mrs. Myers' pet was pure poison at Lark Creek. Scuba diving by Leslie Burke. Mrs. Myers' sharp voice cut Leslie's sentences into funny little phrases, but even so, the power of Leslie's words drew Jess with her under the dark water. Suddenly, he could hardly breathe. Breathe. Suppose you went under and your mask filled up with water and you couldn't get to the top in time. He was choking and sweating. He tried to push down his panic. This was Leslie Burke's favorite hobby. Nobody would make up scuba diving to be their favorite hobby if it wasn't so. That meant Leslie did it a lot. That she wasn't scared of going deep, deep down in a world of no air and little light. Lord, he was such a coward. How could he be all in a tremble just listening to Mrs. Myers read about it? He was worse a baby than Joyce Ann. His dad expected him to be a man. And here he was letting some girl who wasn't even 10 yet scare the liver out of him just by telling what it was like to sightsee underwater. Dumb, dumb, dumb. 
I am sure Mrs. Myers was saying that all of you were as impressed as I was with Leslie's exciting essay. Impressed, Lord, he nearly drowned. In the classroom, there was a shuffling of feet and papers. Now I want to give you a homework assignment, muffled groans, that I'm sure you'll enjoy, mumblings of unbelief. Tonight on Channel 7 at 8 p.m., there is going to be a special about a famous underwater explorer, Jacques Cousteau. I want everyone to watch, then write one page telling what you learned. A whole page? Yes. Dispelling count? Doesn't spelling always count, Gary? Both sides of the paper? One side will be enough, Wanda K. but I will give extra credit to those who do extra work. Wanda K. smiled primly. You could already see ten pages taking shape in her pointy head. Mrs. Myers? Yes, Leslie. Lord, Mrs. Myers was liable to crack her face if she kept up smiling like that. What if you can't watch the program? You inform your parents that it is a homework assignment. I am sure they will not object. What if... Leslie's voice faltered. Then she shook her head and cleared her throat so the words came out stronger. What if you don't have a television set? Lord, Leslie, don't say that. You can always watch on mine. But it was too late to save her. The hissing sounds of disbelief were already building into a rumbling of contempt. Mrs. Myers blinked her eyes. Well, well. She blinked some more. You could tell she was trying to figure out how to save Leslie, too. Well, in that case, one could write a one-page composition on something else. Couldn't one, Leslie? She tried to smile across the classroom upheaval to Leslie, but it was no use. Class! 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 Her Leslie smile shifted suddenly and ominously into a scowl that silenced the storm. She handed out dittoed sheets of arithmetic problems, just stole a look at Leslie. Her face, bent low over the math sheet, was red and fierce. At recess time, he was playing king of the mountain. He could see that Leslie was surrounded by a group of girls led by Wanda Kay. He couldn't hear what they were saying, but he could tell by the proud way Leslie was throwing her head back that the others were making fun of her. Greg Williams grabbed him then, and while they wrestled, Leslie disappeared. It was one of his business. It was none of his business, really, but he threw Greg down the hill as hard as he could and yelled to no one in particular, Gotta go! He stationed himself across from the girl's room. Leslie came out in a few minutes. He could tell she had been crying. Hey, Leslie, he called softly. Go away! She turned abruptly and headed to the other way in a fast walk. With an eye on the office door, he ran after her. Nobody was supposed to be in the halls during recess. Leslie, what's the matter? You know perfectly well what's the matter, Jess Aarons. Yeah, he rubbed his hair. If you just kept your mouth shut, you can always watch at night. But she had wheeled around again and was zooming down the hall. Before he could finish the sentence and catch up with her, she was swinging the door to the girl's room right at his nose. Jess slunk out of the building. He couldn't risk Mr. Turner catching him hanging around the girl's room as though he was some kind of pervert or something. After school, Leslie got on the bus before he did and went straight to the corner of the long back seat, right to the seventh grader's seat. He jerked his head at her to warn her to come farther up front, but she wouldn't even look at him. He could see the seventh graders headed for the bus, the huge bossy bosomy girls and the mean, skinny, narrow-eyed boys. They'd kill her for sitting in their territory. 
territory. He jumped up and ran to the back and grabbed Leslie by the arm. You gotta come up to your regular seat, Leslie. Even as he spoke, he could feel the bigger kids pushing up behind him down the narrow aisle. Indeed, Janice Avery, who was among all the seventh graders, was the one person who devoted her entire life to scaring the wits out of anyone smaller than she was right behind him. Move, kid, she said. He planted his body as firmly as he could, although his heart was knocking at his Adam's apple. Come on, Leslie, he said, and then made himself turn and give Janice Avery one of those lookovers from frizz blonde hair past two tight blouse and broad beam jeans to gigantic sneakers. When he finished, he swallowed, stared straight up into her scowling face and said almost steadily, don't look like there'll be room across the back seat for you and Janice Avery. Somebody hooted. Weight Watchers is calling for you, Janice. Janice's eyes were hate mad, but she moved aside for Jess and Leslie to make their way past to her, make their way past her to their regular seat. Leslie glanced back as they sat down and then leaned over. She's going to get you for that, Jess. Boy, she is mad. Jess warmed to the tone of respect in Leslie's voice, but he didn't dare look back. Heck, he said, you think I'm going to let some dumb cow like that scare me? By the time they got off the bus, he could finally send a swallow past his Adam's apple without choking. He even gave a little wave at the back seat as the bus pulled off. Leslie was grinning at him over Maybelle's head. Well, he said happily, see you. Hey, do you think you could do something for me this afternoon? Me too. I want to do something too, Maybelle shrilled. Just looked at Leslie. No was in her eyes. Not this time, Maybelle. Leslie and I got something we got to do just by ourselves today. You can carry my books home and tell Mama I'm over at the Burks, okay? Okay.